February 19, 2016, Skype class from Hilo, Hawaii, Nityananda's appearance day. Divadanta Swami Niti Namine Namaste Saraswati Deve Gauravani Pacharane Nirvasesa Sanyavadi Paskatyade Satarane Vande Ham Shri Guru Shri Yuta Padakamalam Shri Gurun Vaishnavamscha Shri Rupam Sagrajatam Sahagana Raghunatam Vitam Sam Sajivam Sadvoitam Sadvadutam Padijana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Deva Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakam Vitamscha Panchakalpa Trubistra Kripa Sindhubhyevacha Patitanan Pavanevyo Vaishnavevyo Namo Namaha Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya So, the original Lord, the Supreme Lord of everything, He who is called God, the Supreme Lord, the Creator, the Maintainer, appeared in Navadrip, West Bengal a little over 500 years ago as Lord Chaitanya. Lord Chaitanya is of course the Lord in the mood of Radharani, the Lord in the mood of compassion personified and his first expansion Balaram appeared with him as Lord Nityananda. So when the Lord appears uh, he appears with his potencies those they may be displayed or hidden just like yesterday was the appearance day of Lord Varaha, and when Lord Varaha appeared, we didn't see all of his potencies. Of course, the earth is there as his uh, Shakti, but we didn't see all of his expansions, like uh, Vasudev, Sankarsham, Prajumna, and Aniruddha. We didn't see all of them, but they're there. In this case of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, his uh, first expansion, Balaram, appears as Lord Nichananda. And Sankarshan Seshanaga and the Vishnus who lie on the uh, Karna Ocean, they're all Nityananda's plenary portions and portions of his plenary portions. So this is the Creator, the Lord in the mood of the Creator. And all of these manifestations of the Lord as Creator are expanded from uh, Balaram, from Lord Nityananda. Of course, ultimately, you could say they are expansions from Krishna, but they are expansions from Krishna through the expansion of Lord Nityananda. Now, it's very important to understand, it's not that there are many gods, although each of these expansions have their own mood and their own personality. Even the liberated soul can expand and be in more than one place with more than one relationship with Krishna, more than one mood. Just like we have many jivas who are in Lord Chaitanya's pastimes and simultaneously in Krishna's pastimes and some of them are simultaneously in Lord Ramchandra's pastimes. Some of them are simultaneously in Lord Dasingadev's pastimes and so forth. And in each of these pastimes, the devotees can be in a different mood. So a devotee may be in the Madhurya mood with Krishna and the Dasya mood with Lord Chaitanya. And they're experiencing these things simultaneously. So if that's true for the little part and parcel of the Supreme Lord, how much more so is it true for the Lord? Advoita machuta manadi mananta rupam, mananta rupam, ananta without end, rupam form. So this can mean that the Lord's own form is without end, just like 
when Mother Yasoda bound baby Krishna, she couldn't find an end to his form. She was trying to put a rope around him, and the rope kept being just slightly too short, no matter how many ropes she put together. So he has an endless form, or when Arjuna saw the universal form, unlimited eyes, unlimited hands, unlimited mouths. But Anandarupam also means that the Lord has unlimited forms, not just that he has one form that is unlimited, but he has unlimited forms. <coughs> Yet he is still the same Supreme Lord, still the same Supreme One. It's not that he's a different person, but he's displaying different aspects. Of course, as Krishna, Akila Rasamrita Murti, everything is included in Krishna. And the different expansions, uh, they're something they're not displaying. So the main difference between Krishna and Balaram is that Balaram has a mood of service towards Krishna. And Krishna's book, Tiramyagatapasam. Of course, Krishna also serves Balaram. We find Krishna massaging Balaram's feet and so forth. Krishna serves all of his devotees even, all of the jivas. Uh, but still we can say that Balaram, Nordnitananda, Dvaitacharya, they're in the mood of the, of the servants, even though they are also Vishnu Tattva. So we're going to go now to a meditation on the song that we sang just a few minutes ago. Nitai Padakamala. We're going to be meditating on Srila Prabhupada singing this song and trying to enter into a mood of taking shelter of Lord Nityananda. So, in this particular line, Nirottama Das Thakur is saying that the lotus feet of Lord Nityananda, so generally in the Shastra, the Acharyas, the feet of the Lord are referred to as lotuses. Yesterday I was teaching one of my grandchildren about similes and metaphors. So this, of course, is a metaphor. Someone needs to mute their mic because they're sniffling and typing. So this is a metaphor. It's not that the Lord's feet are literally lotuses. They are as beautiful as a lotus. They are as fragrant as a lotus. They are uh, as soft as a lotus. Softer, of course. More beautiful. Uh, more fragrant. Uh, generally, in material body, even if you have very beautiful feet, some people have very beautiful feet, and they are foot models. The people take pictures of people their take pictures of their feet to advertise different things. Um, in order to keep their feet like that, they have to not walk very much and uh, put lots of lotion and stuff on their feet. For most of us, our feet are not such an attractive part of our body. It, it, they become hard and calloused and, and cracked and so forth. And, uh, for many people, their feet sweat and smell bad. So our feet are generally hard I know one devotee, a good friend of mine, who when she was in India never wore shoes anywhere and her feet got so callous that when she would walk on a hard floor they would make noise like shoes. <laughs> so our feet generally, they don't get that hard, but our feet are generally hard and uh, smelly. Not a particularly beautiful part of the body. You may think of beautiful parts of the body. You think of the shoulders and the, uh, you know, 
face, the eyes, the nose, the hair, and so forth, sometimes the hands. But with the Lord, every part of his body, angani, yasti, sakalendriya, vrittimanti, pasyanti, panti, kalayanti, chiramdriyamti. Every part of his body, of course this is true for the liberated jivas in their spiritual body also, can perform the functions of any other part of the body. And every part of the body of the Lord, every part of the form of the Lord is perfect. There's no uh, part and whole differentiation with the transcendental body. The part is the whole. The whole is the part. Uh, there's, it's, there's not this kind of duality. So when we take, say, say, take shelter of the feet of Lord Nityananda, this also implies a humbling of oneself. To fall at someone's feet is a very humbling physical gesture, not something that's done much in the Western world. And generally in the Western world, people do not literally fall at the feet of somebody else. However, it's a very common practice in India and the other Eastern cultures that when you show respect, you quite literally take your body and you put it down at the person's feet. Uh, you may even touch their feet. Uh, such behavior is considered very odd in the West and perhaps even degrading to the person who's bowing down. We so much in the West value our uh, independence and uh, our false ego, perhaps. But this is a, a sign of total submission. Just like when we offer obeisances, we can offer just pranams, you know, where one folds one's hands and remains upright. We can offer five-pointed obeisances where we get down on our forearms and our um, shins, our knees. And we can offer full eight-pointed dandavats where we fold down completely like a rod and each is a progressive indicator of surrender. But when we surrender to someone in this world, it's usually not very pleasing. Generally, when you surrender to someone in this world, they exploit you in some way, they use you in some way. You could expect, perhaps, that they would kick you. But Lord Nityananda, when one falls at his feet, one feels like there's millions of moons. So at the end of a hard day of work, we see the beautiful moonlight. Of course, my grandson who wants to be an astronomer, he doesn't like the moonlight. He calls the moon light pollution because then he can't see all the stars. But for most of us, the moon is very pleasing. I took a walk early this morning. There was no moon. There's so many stars in the sky here in Hawaii. You see an amazing amount of stars. I didn't see the moon. I miss the moon. Where is the moon? Lord Nityananda's lotus feet are like millions and millions of moons. And while the sun is certainly very welcome, the moon is very soothing. The moon has a, a cooling effect. It gives us a sense of relief from the burning fire of material life. And Krishna explains this fire of material life. It's, uh, it's basically made up of our own lust to want to enjoy separately from Krishna, which is an absurd situation if one thinks about it reasonably. 
but because we want to try to enjoy separately, we think we are going to be fulfilled if we get out of balance and we get disconnected and we get separated and we put ourselves at the center. And how ridiculous that sounds when one says it. But that is how we are thinking. Then we end up, instead of in cooling millions of moons, we end up in a blazing fire. And it's a fire that's never satisfied when one pours the fuel of material enjoyment, uh, amassing material objects, amassing fame, relationships, uh, sense enjoyment, you know, whether good food and pleasant music, and, uh, sexual enjoyment, that no matter how much of this we pour on this fire, the fire is still blazing. It's, it's like we're pouring fuel on a fire. And when you put fuel on a fire, the fire goes down for a moment and then it blazes up again. And we don't, no one says, well, now I've eaten a good meal and now I have no desire for tasty food anymore. You know, now it, it, the desire is finished, but it blazes up again. And of course, in this picture, we see how Krishna says this lust is covering the living entity like an embryo in the womb, uh, dirt on a mirror or smoke on the fire. And the embryo in the womb is compared to when one has a body of a plant. The covering is very thick, the covering over one's consciousness. The dirt on the mirror like an animal, a little less thick. You do see animals sometimes show some compassion and affection. You don't see that much with a plant. And in the human, less covering like smoke on a fire. It's only in the human life that, generally speaking, that one inquires, who am I? What is the purpose of life? Where am I going? So how are we going to get relief from this blazing fire? This is our main question. How am I going to be happy and get Uh, freedom from all of my distresses. How am I going to get unmitigated happiness? So the answer is found very much at the feet of Lord Nityananda. And why Lord Nityananda specifically? Because he's in a particularly merciful mood, just like Lord Chaitanya has taken up the mood of Radharani, so Lord Balaram has also taken up this very uh, merciful mood his mood is, matches that of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And in addition, because he feels himself the servant of Lord Chaitanya, so it's even magnified. So Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he's in the mood of his servant, of Srimati Radharani and Lord, Lord uh, Nityananda. He takes this mood, uh, not specifically of Radharani, but of his own uh, consort, Purnananda. And that is mixed with his natural mood, of servants of servitorship toward the Lord's friendship and servitorship that he wants to facilitate the Lord. So what is the main thing that facilitates the Lord? The main thing that facilitates and pleases the Lord is when the suffering living entities come to real happiness. So such is the primary mood of Lord Nityananda, we could say, even more so than Lord Chaitanya. And therefore Whatever we are suffering, we're not going to get rid of it by taking some intoxicant. Since the beginning of time, human beings have tried to escape through intoxication, and sometimes they think 
that what they experience through intoxication is very spiritual. In the whole hippie movement, that was the mood. If you smoke marijuana, if you take LSD, you'll get some sort of spiritual visions that will augment your spiritual practice. And even in many religions, you know, the main religions of the world, Christianity uh, uses wine in their religious ceremonies, as does Judaism. Uh, The Muslims don't use wine. They don't take any alcohol. But it's very common, this idea. One devotee posted a video the other day of these Orthodox Jews having their public dancing. And I didn't say anything, but I was thinking, yeah, but they're all, they've all drunk alcohol first. You can't really compare that to the devotees on Sankirtan. So that doesn't really solve any problem because intoxication is simply an extra level, le- layer sorry, of illusion. We're already intoxicated thinking we're this body. And so simply intoxication, it makes one sick, it makes one violent, um, it makes one more attached to this body and this world. And nowadays people have, of course, also electronic intoxicants, one could say. They don't, uh, they actually do change one's body chemistry. People are playing video games and watching movies, at least temporarily. Uh, one thinks, oh, I have no material miseries anymore. But then after the show is finished, after the game is finished, one feels worse than before. Just like after the intoxicant wears off, one feels worse than before. That doesn't give us relief. Intoxication doesn't give us relief. It compounds the problem. Or we think, well, I'm going to find relief by having a happy family and a good job, being a good person in society. Um, but it's simply disappointment. Uh, the family members all disappoint us in one way or another, and uh, looking for fame and fortune, name and fame, we will also f- feel disappointed. Uh, one day they praise you, like Frank Sinatra would sing. You know, one day they're praising you, and the next day they're uh, criticizing you. And you become the slave to the people who are praising you. And other people try to get free of the miseries of material life uh, through just abnegating everything, running away from everything. Like the little child that you tell them, you know, you spilled your juice on the floor and instead of cleaning it up, they just scream and run away. So that uh, just merging into the Brahmin, just running away. And others try through becoming equipoised and balanced and detached. I just won't care about anything. But the lotus feet of Lord Nichananda, Nitya means eternal, Ananda means bliss, gives us not some temporary, illusory, sensory pleasure, nor does it just negate everything, but gives us eternally the real happiness. And that's what mitigates the miseries. This is quite an interesting statement of Srila Prabhupada, who purported this song. So Narutama Dastakura is simply saying that if you don't have Lord Nityananda's shelter, you will not be able to worship Radha and Krishna. So the, the main essence of that is Krishna and Vrindavan is very soft. Of course, 
He also kills demons in Gokula Vrindavan in the material world. But his main mood in Vrindavan is very soft. He's there as a young cowherd boy, not more than 15 years old. And he doesn't really have a sense of being God, unlike, say, uh, Ramachandra or Narayana, uh, Varaha, yesterday is Varaha's appearance day, who very much has a sense of being God. I mean, that's a kind of pleasure, just like most of us like to have a sense of being very powerful. We like to think of ourselves as invincible. Right? We like to think, I'm not going to die. When we get in our car and drive around, we go, I'm not going to get in an accident. I'm not going to get sick. That happens to other people. Right? So we have a, a sense of, of power. And that's very pleasurable. But Krishna in Vrindavan, he's not in that mood. He's in the mood of being just the, the prince of, in a village of cowherds. <laughs> right? When, the, when Krishna appeared on this planet, when he was in Dwarka and Mathura, the demons would insult him like that. Oh, you're just a cowherd. Right? A village boy. And how we insult him. Oh, you're just a village boy. What do you know? Ignoramus. And Krishna doesn't even go to school until he goes to Mathura. So he's not in that mood of the supreme power. He's in a very soft mood. Right? He's, he's dancing with the, go- with the young gopis. He's dancing at the request of Yasoda Rohini and the other motherly gopis. He's carrying Nandamarja's shoes on his head. He gets defeated when he wrestles with the cowherd boys. He has to carry the winner on his shoulders because he's been defeated. So he's very soft. And because Krishna is very soft, there are many protectors of the Dham. So we find Lord Shiva is a protector of the Dham. And also Lord Balaram, Lord Nityananda, he's protecting the Dham. And you can't get in, you can't enter into the Leelas if there's any chance you're going to hurt Krishna. Of course, as we say in, in this planet, or when Krishna comes from a material planet, there are demons that enter that Krishna kills because that's part of Vinashaya Chajuskutam, it's part of Krishna's mission in the material world. But in general, without passing through these gatekeepers, without passing through these guards, there's no question of just entering. You can't crash the party. But Srila Prabhupada says something even more astonishing in his purport to this section of the song. He says, this Krishna consciousness movement is for approaching Radhakrishna to be associated with the Supreme Lord in his sublime pleasure dance. That is the aim of Krishna consciousness. So it sounds like the most obvious, literal understanding of what Srila Prabhupada is saying here is that everyone in the Krishna consciousness movement is meant to join into the Raslila as one of the gopis. And as one of the gopis who dance in Raslila. Not all the gopis dance in Raslila. As you can see, even in this painting, you have some gopis on the side who are just playing instruments and so forth. There's different kinds of gopis with different moods, some are more in the moods of being a, a servant and so forth. And you could say, well, does that mean that nobody's going to enter into the other moods? No, there's not going to be any other Staibab. No one's going to have, you know, Vatsalya and, and uh, Sakya and so forth. And that, of course, would be absurd. Krishna doesn't want only uh, Sringara Ras, Madhuri Ras. He's Akila Rasamritamurti. He enjoys all of the Rasas. He enjoys having the cows. And here we see the peacocks. But everyone is contributing to Krishna's Rasa dance 
if not directly, then indirectly. Krishna is, so those who are acting as Krishna's parents and friends and even the antagonists like Radharani's mother-in-law, Jatila, they're all contributing to this ultimate expression of love, of this Rasalila, which is, the, is the, really the ultimate activity of the Lord. I saw this when we were doing a drama at the Govardhan retreat and I was playing Jatila and I got a little fragment of insight by the grace of Giriraj and all of the wonderful Vaishnavas who were there that even though Jatila in Yogamaya feels that she's hindering the relationship between Radha and Krishna she's really facilitating it and making it ever sweeter and full of more adventure and on some level she's even aware of that and on some level she's taking pleasure in the relationship of Radha and Krishna even as she's trying to impede it. So Dara is, is to hold, one is to hold the lotus feet of Lord Nityananda, not just fall at his feet one time, two times, but to become steady, nishta, to always be holding Lord Nityananda's lotus feet, always have this mood of dependence that one doesn't enter into the dancing party of Radha Krishna, as we said, whether one enters directly or, or indirectly. I mean, in one sense, there's no such thing as directly or indirectly. It's all direct. But uh, if one enters in the, in the rasa of a gopi who's dancing with Krishna, or if one enters as a flower on the tree, or a garland of the gopis, or if one enters as uh, one of the parents of the Krishna are one of the parents of the gopis in so many ways but one has to catch hold of this lotus feet of Lord Nityananda one has to always be under the shelter of Nityananda at all times because we say he is the gatekeeper if as soon as one loses his shelter just like in places where where people go to party they have sometimes what they call a bouncer some big muscular guy that if you cause trouble, they pick you up and throw you out. So Lord Nityananda, he's, he's one of the guardians, and one has to stay on his good side, not just that you take his shelter and he lets you in and you forget about him. You're not using him and then you kick him out of the way. But one has to have great devotion and love for the lotus feet of Nityananda. And as Prabhupada says that we are all Every one of us, he says, as living entity are searching after pleasure. Real pleasure is Nityananda, eternal pleasure. So this fact of our existence is one of the prime pillars of our Gaudiya Vaishnav Siddhanta. That not only is Krishna Ananda Maya Biasat, that he is always pleasure seeking, but so are each of us. So are each of us. And if we get disgusted with material pleasure, we might say, okay, I will simply live without pleasure. I, I know one devotee who thinks that anything she does that she enjoys must be wrong. <laughs> she is trying not to take any happiness from anything, and then of course occasionally she complains, I'm not getting any happiness from anything. But it's not possible for us to live without happiness. And I, I run into this misconception very often that devotees will think, well, 
I'm only really surrendered if I don't enjoy my service. As soon as I'm enjoying my service, then it's just simply illusion. But such is really an impersonalistic philosophy. I mean, even the impersonalists are aiming for Brahmananda. They're aiming for a pleasure being merged into the Brahman. So even they don't fully deny pleasure. But we are saying that the real pleasure is in loving relationships. The real pleasure is not... The real pleasure certainly is not just in pleasing the senses. I mean, you've got a, a great meal and wonderful music and you're just sitting alone eating it. I know that's not nearly as pleasurable as when you're with friends or family, loving family. So our, our, the real thing we're craving is a loving relationship. And if we don't have that loving relationship with other humans, then we'll try to have it with animals. Sometimes we try to have it with our our things, our paraphernalia. You know, somebody will love their car, or they'll love their gun, or they'll love their guitar. You, know, you see these musicians that before they start to play, they're, they're practically caressing <laughs> their, their guitar. So we, we want to love somebody. This is the real way that we get pleasure. And this love, it's above sense pleasure. Sense pleasure is really the antithesis of love. If I'm looking for sense pleasure, then I want to use objects and people to satisfy my senses. I don't want to love them. And it's also the antithesis of liberation because love binds us to those whom we love, which is perhaps one of the reasons why people both desire and run away from love. But whenever we love someone, there's some bond there. There's some connection. It's the opposite of liberation. So these desires for bukti and mukti, and they will not give us eternal pleasure. In fact, they're considered to be like witches that haunt us and uh, distort our intelligence. So if we want this real eternal pleasure, then we go to Nityananda, who is, exemplifies the perfection of loving relationships. So one could take this statement that if we haven't contacted Lord Nityananda, our life is wasted, as being very sectarian. Because one could say that those who are in other religions, I mean, even those who are in the other Vaishnav Sampradayas, they don't appear to have Sambandha. They don't appear to have a relationship with Lord Nityananda specifically. However, Lord Nityananda being the personality of Godhead and the Supreme Lord being one, there being only one God, anyone who contacts the Supreme Lord is certainly having a relationship with Lord Nityananda. We do not say, we never said, and we should not say, that those who are contacting the Supreme through some other system uh, cannot get free of the cycle of birth and death and are wasting their lives. Our purpose is not to get people, just hearing Prabhupada say this, our purpose is not to convert people from you know, Islam to Hinduism or something like that. Our purpose is to bring people to love of God. And Prabhupada was saying, he said, I've, I've always said that in any bona fide religion, one can attain love of God. It's not necessary to change from one religion to another. I read something very interesting yesterday from a Mormon 
and one of the big crises that's happening in the Mormon faith is that evidently the history of the founding of their movement is not told with very much fidelity to historical accuracy. So dates will be mixed up and so forth, and how Mormons are told that their movement started, that their religion started, is not verifiable with other historical records. And in some cases, it's a minor discrepancy, you know, that the Mormons are taught that such and such happened in 1820, whereas actually it happened in 1822. But the fact that there's these uh, discrepancies, even on a minor level, have caused a lot of Mormons, once they're able to research via the Internet, the article was about how access to the Internet is harming the Mormon religion, uh, that people often lose their faith in the religion altogether. And uh, I was reading this because I teach ISKCON history, and I don't think there's very many people in the world who teach ISKCON history. <clears throat> and it was, it's made me wonder, as I've thought about this before, that the fact that most people who join the Hare Krishna movement do not study ISKCON history, or they study uh, some version of it just having to do when Prabhu was on the planet and so forth, that if they come across people who present ISKCON history in another way, and it may have a negative effect on them. So therefore I was reading this, and the, the ex-Mormon who wrote this article was also bringing up something very interesting that I hadn't realized about the Mormon religion, that the Mormon religion relies very heavily on asking for guidance from the Holy Spirit within the heart as a means of verifying what one should do. And he gave the example that his sister was pregnant. The doctors had told his sister that the child had probably died in the womb. And this man decided he would ask the Holy Spirit whether or not the child was still alive. And so he prayed, is the child still alive? And he got some burning sensation in his heart, which he indicate, which he interpreted as meaning that the child was still alive. And of course, the child was dead. And after this experience, he thought, well, if I can't trust the Holy Spirit in my heart, maybe I can't trust my religion altogether. The point he made then is that, well, if the reason I'm a Mormon is I trust that the Holy Spirit tells me it's true, he said such verification happens in all religions, and he quoted from many different religious leaders and other religions who also talk about trusting guidance of the Lord in the heart as to whether or not that religion was true. And in fact, of course, we said the same thing. And he said, why would God tell each, each adherent in each different religion that their religion is true? He said, that the, the whole thing doesn't make sense to me. So he rejected everything outright. But of course, he has a premise that only one religion can be teaching the truth. He has, whereas our premise is that each kind of religion has a different desh kalapatra, each kind of bona fide religion. Obviously, there's some just completely bogus, made-up, cheating religions. But that every kind of bona fide religion is designed for a certain mood of practitioners. It's designed for people who are from a certain part of the world, a certain culture, a certain place. And we find, of course, in the Vedas themselves that there are all different sorts of religious prescriptions, not only one. I mean, even in the Bhagavad Gita, even in the Bhagavatam, there's instructions for Gyan, there's instructions for Yoga, there's instructions for... Uh, uh, karma yoga, gyan yoga, dhyan yoga, not only bhakti. And that's, of course, talking about 
to come to the Lord. But in the Vedas, there's also, there's so many prescriptions for worshiping the demigods and going to heaven and, and so forth and so on. Now, of course, the Bhagavatam presents bhakti to the Supreme Lord Krishna as the highest. But still, these other paths are also available. Right? We even have in the Bhagavatam Agnidra, who decided that he'd rather go to heaven and be with uh, Purvajitu, whoever he was worshipping. So when we are saying you must contact Nityananda, this is not something sectarian. We're saying you must contact the Lord in his form of mercy, who is the personification of eternal pleasure. So here Narottama Das makes another very heavy statement that one who doesn't have this sambandha with Nityananda, he's just pasu, he's just an animal, uh, he, everything is just miserable. The only What is the happiness to the animals? Just eating, sleeping, mating, and defending. So again, this should not be understood in some sectarian way, but what should be understood as a principle, as Prabhupada is saying here, a person without spiritual eternal happiness. If we don't have some spiritual happiness, what's what's left? What kind of happiness is, is left for us? Someone could say, well, we don't just have animal happiness. We have the happiness of music and art and culture and, and so forth. I mean, among the animals, not only do you see that there's an absence of religion, but there's also an absence of culture. Some animals construct some sort of home. The spider builds its web, but it just builds... Every breed of spider, each breed of spider builds a particular web. They don't have variety of architecture. You know, I can build a home that has a very different architecture than your home. Right? And the animals, okay, they can make some music, but they can only make the music according to their species. I mean, some animals, like a lyrebird and a parrot, can make all different kinds of sounds, but only the humans can produce a variety of music philosophy. So one could say that no, the happiness in human life, it goes far beyond this eating, sleeping, mating, and defending. But if we think clearly, we'll see that pretty much the art, the music, the culture, the philosophy, it's all about eating, sleeping, mating, and defending. Uh, The entertainment, you know, the movies, the books, the TV shows, and so forth, the plays, the dances, the rock music, the classical music. It's what is it about? Eating, sleeping, mating, and defending. Mostly about mating and defending. Right? Isn't that mostly what it's about? Mating and defending. Sex and violence. In one form or another, even the fairy tales told to children are basically about that. So it may be fancier than the animals, but the essence is the same. Without Lord Nityananda, all we have is false material happiness. We have this nice comic here done by my friend uh, Madhava Priya. For those of you who can't see my screen, so it's children under a Christmas tree, and they're opening up boxes that says sense gratification, material happiness, and they say, oh boy, just what I wanted. And then as they're going through their present, they become envious. One of them says, I'm bored. His present looks good. The other one says, I'm tired of this stuff. I wish I had that stuff. And then they start fighting, give me this, give me that. And this is material happiness, you know, like nectar in the beginning and poison at the end. It looks good at first, and we think, yes, this is what I want. And in time, 
uh, we become disgusted, we become envious, we become disappointed. And even if you like your sense gratification, uh, even if you say, I have the most wonderful sense gratification, I'm not disgusted with it. Uh, it's temporary. Narutamadastakura is saying, if we don't say the name of Lord Nityananda, then all we're left with is this temporary happiness. We'll say, well, I have the protection of my family and my education. And he says, these things won't save you. No matter how educated you are, uh, there's still birth, death, old age, and disease. The highly educated scientists, they also get cancer. They also get car accidents. Even the people with the most wonderful family. Their family members die. Their family members uh, have so many difficulties, diseases. Uh, They still have to undergo everything in life. That's the only alternative. Is that what we really want instead of Lord Nityananda? Will we give up the shelter of Lord Nityananda simply for family and knowledge? They won't help us. When we end this body, Prabhupada says, we'll just carry our, our work with us. All we'll carry is our our karma. We may not even get a human body. You have a nice comic here of this man saying, I'm so accomplished, I'm a family man, I'm rich, I'm famous with a PhD, I own my own home. And at the time of death, it's his karma. In the next life, then he can be born in a low-caste class family. Nobody cares about him. He doesn't get any honor. He doesn't get any prestige and, and so forth. All these things, they don't satisfy us in the present, and nor do they help us in our future life. They are just like a dream. Getting this material happiness, it's just like getting the happiness of a dream. So Prabhupada said, we may say, I don't need Lord Nichananda. I have my, you know, I'm powerful. And here we see the picture of, of Nityananda begging Chaitanya Mahaprabhu not to kill Jagai and Madai with his chakra. And how amazing that the Supreme Lord, I was just talking with a devotee yesterday about this, the Supreme Lord, who's unlimited in his glory, is coming and begging from the fallen conditioned souls who are constantly offending him and insulting him and rebelling against him. And he's begging them, uh, please, Take the ecstasy of love of God. Please take the ecstasy of love of God. And we mean, well, I don't need what you're giving. We don't understand who's giving it. We don't understand. Here's the Supreme Lord who has everything, who's offering to us. You know, like if you didn't know who Bill Gates was, you'd never seen his picture, you didn't know anything about him, and he comes up to you and says, hey, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd like to give a donation to something. I'd like to give you a gift of some money for something you're interested in, and we just think he's some ordinary person, and we say, well, I don't, I don't need your money. We don't understand who we're talking to. So when Lord Nityananda, when he comes and says, you know, I'm going to give you love of God only for the price of your faith. No, I don't need you. I can do everything myself. Ahankara. I am the controller. I am the most powerful.
So if we reject Lord Nityananda, we're going to accept this false dream as the truth. You know, when we're having a dream, it seems very real. We think this is really the truth. And similarly, if we reject Lord Nityananda, if we reject his offer of mercy and kindness, then we just become absorbed in the body and the day-to-day life in the world as if it was the reality. So this is a recurring theme in the song that by the mercy of Lord Nityananda we get the mercy of Radha Krishna. We get to enter, in other words, into the realm of Vrindavan. We get to go beyond this world, not just to the higher material planets of heaven or the great sages, not just to the subtle material coverings, which are the essence of all material enjoyment, not just to the Brahma Jyoti, which is ultimate relief, but and not just to the Vaikuntas, where the Lord is there in majesty, but to Vrindavan, where the Lord is there in the ultimate sweetness as the sum total of all happiness. So here we have this Dado again to hold on tightly to Lord Nityananda's lotus feet. And in this painting, we see Lord Nityananda putting his lotus foot on the head of Raghunath Das. Thus, when Raghunath Das was going to do the, fest, the chipped rice festival on the bank of the Ganga. So if we're really serious, Prabhupada says, if one is actually serious, people often say, how do I measure my sincerity? How do I know if I'm sincere? And then we say, yes, I will serve you, Nityananda. Of course, Nityananda, uh, Lord Balaram, they're the ultimate guru. So if you want to know, how do I practically do this? It has to do with obedience and surrender to the guru. So here, Narottama Dastakura is assuring us, don't worry, these feet are eternal. You know, in this world, we take shelter of so many things, and either they disappoint us immediately, or if they don't, they don't last. We can't keep relying on them. At one point, they're, they're not there anymore for us. You know, my body's getting older, and my body as a shelter is becoming less and less viable. <laughs> You know, I can't see very well without glasses anymore, for example. So it used to be I could just see, you know, and just look at things and and see them. And the body starts saying, no, I'm not going to be a shelter for you anymore. And we may think Lord Nityananda will be like that. Uh, But no, his lotus feet are eternal. And the service that we do is also eternal. In this world, the service we do is very temporary. We do some service... And then uh, the people for whom we do some service, they forget about it in five minutes, and they say, you, you didn't do anything. <laughs> right? It doesn't last. We have to, to keep doing it. But in the, in the spiritual, everything is eternal. And Prabhupada, and his purport here says, anyone who takes to the service of Nityananda, they also become eternal. Without being eternal, nobody can serve the eternal. If you catch the lotus feet of Nityananda, then you become immediately spiritualized, just like if you touch electricity, Immediately you become electrified. So his lotus feet will give us this eternal 
hope, eternal happiness. That's what we're looking for. Such a simple thing in one sense. Uh, give up the false ego and just have the shelter, not of our false ego, not of our money, not of our intelligence, not of our friends, family, our education, our country, uh, so forth, but simply the shelter of the feet of Lord Nityananda, the most powerful. Then we become eternally happy. One of the most difficult things to admit is that materially, I'm not happy. Being separated from Krishna, being a rebellious soul, I'm not happy. I need spiritual life. I'm messed up. My life is messed up. I'm messed up. When I, without the shelter of the lotus feet of Lord Nityananda, I have nothing. Please, Lord Nityananda. Give me the happiness of love and service. Just a little. Ainanda tenu tikinkara patitamam bishame bavam bujo kripaya tapapada pankajasti tajuli sadrasim bichintaya bichintaya. Just consider, please. Make Abhi give a little, some little place, somewhere, a little particle of dust, somewhere. Then I'm safe. Then I'm secure. Then I'm situated in love. And from that perspective, I can really love. I can really serve. Otherwise, I'm just floating without shelter. So how do we get Lord Nityananda's shelter? And Bhaktivinoda Thakur talks about this. He says that the mark, he said the marketplace of the holy name has now been opened and Lord Nityananda himself is the proprietor in chief. And we go to the marketplace, either we, we walk there, or we take a rickshaw, or we take a car, or we turn on our computer and click on our mouse. We go to a marketplace. What do we buy? You know, toothbrushes or something. So here we buy the holy name. We can get the holy name. And Bhakti Thakura says that he's selling the pure, unadulterated holy name wholesale merely for the price of one's face. So it's on sale. <coughs> wholesale. So wholesale is available for those who resell it themselves. So if you really want to get the holy name wholesale, then you distribute the holy name. And, and then all you have to have is faith. Unadulterated holy name. Shuddha. None. Not offensive holy name, not chanting the holy name for some material thing, but Shudanam, pure name. And just that faith to give up, uh, what is it, to maintain material attachments, not have complete faith in the chanting of the holy name to maintain material attachments. So to have pure faith in the, in the pure holy name, and then Lord Nityananda will give it to you. Bhaktivinoda says the very second that Nittai sees a tear welling in someone's eye upon chanting the name of Gora, he instantly gives his support to that person. Indeed, he bestows all divine opulences upon him. So just a drop of affection, a drop of love, a drop of ecstasy in relationship to Lord Chaitanya, some, something small from our side, a little faith from our side, a little affection from our side. And the Lord Nityananda gives us everything. 
Bhaktivinoda continues to say, when offenses are vanquished, one will obtain the treasure of love of God. But in these names of Chaitanya and Nittai, there is no consideration of offenses. Once one has a taste for the holy name of Krishna, bondage to this world will come to an end. So, <coughs> Bhaktivinoda Thakur says, we just need some taste, we need some ruchi, and then our bondage is finished. And he says one can get this very easily by chanting Nittai Gaur. So one may say, well, why chant Hare Krishna? I'm chanting Hare Krishna with offenses, let me just chant Nittai Gauranga without offenses. In fact, we know of one sannyasi who left uh, Prabhupada's shelter, started his own movement, where on um, Japa Mala, he and his followers just chant the Panchatattva Mahamantra. But although the Panchatattva Mahamantra, the names of Nittai Gaur, there's no consideration of offense. It is also, wouldn't it be offensive to disobey their instructions? The Lord Chaitanya's instructions are to chant the Hare Krishna Mahamantra. And Bhakti Nautikura says, when there's attachment to the holy name of Krishna, then very easily the life of a living being becomes successful. At the end of life, one will obtain the beautiful vision of Radha and Sham in Vrindavan. So it starts with some attachment, some taste, not just ritualistic formulas. So we may begin with something ritualistic, we may begin mechanically, but we need to come to the point, otherwise Shrama Evahi Kevalam, without Rati, one has to come to the point of attachment. I was speaking to a devotee yesterday who said, yes, I got some attachment for Krishna, but I thought, oh, well, I don't want to be a sahajiya, so let me me not have any attachment for Krishna. This is a funny thing, huh? He said, but I couldn't stop it. <laughs> and so we want the kind of attachment that cannot be stopped. Rupa Goswami says, just like a young boy and a young girl, they're attached to each other. You can't stop it. It doesn't matter what rules you put in the society. It will still happen. So one should have an attachment to Krishna, that cannot be stopped. Bhaktivinoda says, The most merciful Lord Nityananda gives the holy name to anyone. He never cares in the least for one's position in relation to caste, material wealth, mundane knowledge, or physical ability. So, of course, this mood of Lord Nityananda is, or should be, one of the hallmarks of the Krishna consciousness movement. That we don't take some bodily, mental, positional situation as having any meaning whatsoever in terms of who can get and who can give the mercy of the Lord. So let us chant Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Sri Adoyta Gadadhar Sri Vasadigor Bhaktarinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare Lord Nityananda Ki Jai Uh, I've unmuted everybody on. There's one or two questions. Cute. Does anyone have anything? Am I unmuted? Yes, we can hear you. Oh, okay. Um, Mother Romula, could you elaborate a little bit on how to? Take shelter at the lotus feet of Lord Nishananda. Mm. 
Well, as we said, Lord Nityananda is the eternal guru principle. Prabhupada says guru is not a particular man. Um, the guru is the principle, guru is the truth. And the main way that we take shelter of Lord Nityananda is we accept that what he's giving us, uh, especially through the person of guru, gurus, is our key to happiness and spiritual survival. What does it mean to take someone's shelter? Just think about it in ordinary material life, let's say in a, in a marriage relationship. So a marriage that the husband takes the shelter of the wife, the wife takes the shelter of the husband, that they don't look for their sense pleasure elsewhere. That's a breaking of the marriage vows, right? If the husband has an outside girlfriend, the wife has an outside boyfriend, then they don't have each other's shelter. Or like with a country, right? If you take shelter of another country, you can be accused of treason. If you think this other, you know, you might live in another country, but if you start becoming loyal to that other, to another country, and harming your own country's interests, you don't have their shelter. Or you work for a company, but really you're taking the customers and you're getting your own relationship with them separately. You don't have the shelter of the company. So to have the shelter means that this is where my desires are fulfilled, this is where my loyalty is. I don't have another master. And that's particularly for us in the mood of guru that I am loyal to my guru. I don't, I don't go elsewhere. I'm loyal to the instructions coming from Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and their disciplic succession. Now, does that mean, as I said earlier, that it's something sectarian? The people take this loyalty and they make it into a kind of nationalism, they make it into a kind of sporting event, where you're rooting for your team, you want the other team to lose. You're rooting for your country, you want the other countries to be finished. It's not like that. It's not that because you love your own husband that you want other women to be miserable in their marriages. And it's not that, you know, all the other women have to leave their husbands and marry yours and your husband has to have, you know, three and a half billion wives. It's not like that. It's not that you think everybody has to have my guru. But this sense of loyalty to one's guru, one's sense of loyalty to one's sampradaya, this is where I have my shelter. It doesn't mean, again, you know, if you're, if you're loyal to your husband, it doesn't mean you can't talk to your father. It doesn't mean you can't talk to your brother or your uncle. It doesn't mean you can't talk to the man at the post office to buy some stamps. But your, your loyalty is to your husband as far as who's going to take care of you, who's going to give you shelter, who's going to give you pleasure. You know, that I'm loyal to my guru doesn't mean that, you know, I can't find out what's going on in the world by reading the newspaper doesn't mean I can't study how to teach spelling or something. But I see everything through the, the eyes of my, of my guru. That the guru is, is everything to me. So 
special. In this way, we take the shelter of Lord Nityananda, and particularly Lord Nityananda has the mood, which we find, of course, in Srila Prabhupada and his followers, of preaching, and of preaching without material distinction. If one is making material distinctions, and one does not have the shelter of Lord Nityananda, I'm sorry to say. If one is saying, you know, only like I was just hearing Prabhupada said in a class, he was giving a nectar devotion to Vrindavan. If one says that only persons born in Indian Brahmana families can be Brahmanas, he said, then all of Vedic culture will be destroyed. It was very interesting. He said, people are accusing us of not following Vedic culture by allowing people born in Western families to be Brahmanas, he said, but if they take this tag, they are destroying the culture. And I thought today what's going on in terms, even among the Krishna devotees in terms of women. The, the women are, who receive Brahmana initiation are not generally dealt with as if they're Brahmanas. So many places, the women who are who are brahmanas, they're not allowed to do any deity worship. They're not allowed to do fire yagya and so forth. So that's not the mood of Lord Nityananda. The mood of Lord Nityananda is that Krishna consciousness is available to everyone. The only discrimination is: do you, are you willing to take it? That's all. How much are you willing to take it? If you're not willing to accept it, what can be done? But it's being offered to everyone. It wasn't that long ago in South Africa or even in America where different services were offered to people depending on the color of their skin. You know, if you had dark skin, then there were so many government and civil services you couldn't avail yourself of. You couldn't sit in the front seat of the bus and so forth. So that's not the mood of Lord Nityananda. The mood of Lord Nityananda. If we want to take his shelter, then we find happiness and peace in the way that he does. In his mood. And that's his mood. He's almost like an avaduta, almost like a madman in terms of his just giving love of God to everyone without making any distinction. The only distinction is, is, are they receptive? And even those who are not apparently receptive, like Jaghai and Madai, still, he gives them love of God. At least he offers it. Is that all right? Anybody else? Anyone else? It seems like Prabhupada was like sort of the ultimate empowered in, in representative of Lord Nichananda. I, I would have to agree. So indiscriminate. I would, I would really have to agree. And, and that's not uh, to denigrate anybody else. There's obviously many wonderfully empowered preachers, but we do see something really extraordinary. I mean, just objectively speaking, we see that there's something very extraordinary in Srila Prabhupada's taking up this mood of Lord Nichananda. And we know, of course, 
you know, in the beginning of the movement, Srila Prabhupada was installing deities of Jagannath and, and Radha and Krishna. And he used to have just a painting of the Panchatattva on an altar. It wasn't for quite a few years. But he started, started installing Gordi Thai. But it's interesting that, interesting that Prabhupada started installing Gordi Thai. Like Bhaktivedanta Thakura worshipped deities of Gaur Gadadhar. Srila Prabhupada specifically installed Gordi Thai. And Srila Prabhupada had this strong emphasis on Lord Nityananda. Lord Nityananda's mood, I mean, if we just think about how he was going and preaching even to the Jaghais and Mother. Of course, Lord Chaitanya also, the Patan soldiers and so many, but Lord Nityananda particularly has this, this mood. Thank you very much. Lord Nityananda Kija, Srila Prabhupada Kija.